This is the To The Point Podcast. Together with our ERISA attorney, we'll explore key Affordable Care Act and trending compliance topics, all in 15 minutes or less. Now here's our host, Sarah Gillespie. Welcome, this is Sarah Gillespie. I'm the Compliance Director for Employee Benefits at Lipscomb and Pitts Insurance in Memphis, Tennessee. And this is our To The Point podcast. We have with us Stacy Barrow today. He is our ERISA counsel. Hey, Stacy. Thanks, Sarah. So I want to talk about um, something recent that happened on August 3rd that affected portions of the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. So as I said, on August 3rd, um, a New York district court vacated portions of the Department of Labor regulations under the FFCRA. So before we get into a discussion about what was actually vacated, we want to be clear that obviously this decision is binding over employers with employees who are working in New York, but the order does not specifically address the scope of its application over the rest of the country. So for that reason, it may be helpful to familiarize yourself with these updates as we await some of that. Um, Stacey, can you walk us through the parts that were struck down and explain what was vacated and the reasons for the changes? Sure. So um, it's kind of an interesting case here. The the state of New York sued the Department of Labor, the U.S. Department of Labor, the, the federal government, um, over its regulations under the FFCRA. Um, and this was a suit in the Southern District of New York. Um, so it really is only binding in the Southern District of New York. We're talking about Manhattan and the Bronx, basically, and a couple of other counties. Um Obviously, employers in um, you know, upstate and the rest of New York are taking a very close look at this, as are, I'm sure, employers around the country. Um, and so let me kind of run through the, the major pieces um, that were, were vacated. Um, the first piece that the state of New York did not um, like and challenge was the work availability requirement. Um, when the law first was drafted and before the regulations came out, it was kind of unclear what it meant to be subject to a quarantine order for purposes of earning the paid sick leave, um, the 80 hours of paid sick leave. And when the Department of Labor uh, promulgated their regulations, they said, well, part of the requirement in order to um, be eligible for paid sick leave is that um, not only do you have to be under a quarantine order, let's just take the first one, the being under a quarantine order, not only do you have to be under that quarantine order, but your employer also has to be otherwise open and have work available for you. Um, if the employer is closed, whether it's because of a downturn in business or because the employer was ordered to close, then the employees aren't eligible for the paid sick leave. The, the leave is only available if the employer you know, otherwise has work available for the employee. <clears throat> Pardon me, and that's called the work availability requirement. And so that was um, one of the uh, elements that were challenged and um, was vacated um, as part of the decision. Um, so the Department of Labor and their guidance said, you know, look, when employees are furloughed, that's the time for them to take unemployment, not FFCRA leave. And 
that does make a lot of sense, right? If the company is closed and, and they've furloughed everyone and let's just say they're, they're not coming back into business, you know, how could they be required to provide this paid sick leave? But if you look at the statute, um, the law itself, you know, there, you, you could fairly read it that way, that there, there isn't any work requirement. It's just that, look, if, if, you know, you're working for this company and you can't get to work because you're under a quarantine order, that's all that needs to happen in order for it to be payable. And so that's the position that New York took. The other piece uh, that was vacated was the definition of healthcare provider. And this is another you know, major piece of the regulation, really. So when the law was passed, a lot of um, healthcare providers, not just hospital systems and doctor's offices, but you know, nursing homes and um, drug manufacturers were very nervous about having you know, mass quantities of employees call out um, to get this paid leave. And the Department of Labor, sensitive to that, drafted a very broad exemption for healthcare providers. It is broader, it's a broader exemption than we usually see in government regulations. They're usually very narrow and careful and tailored. This one was, again, the broadest exemption I've ever seen was basically anyone who works for a healthcare provider, which itself was. It was a fairly broad definition of who could qualify as a provider. Anyone who works somewhere who contracts with a healthcare provider would just be exempt from having to uh, be provided this paid leave. So it would extend, for example, to um, folks in the janitorial department of a hospital. Um, and the Department of Labor, um, you know, I think recognized that in, in a hospital system, you need a good physical plant. You need your janitorial employees. If too many of them call out, there's going to be a biohazard situation. So while they're not exactly first responders, they arguably are pretty critical to the functioning of a healthcare facility, nursing home, hospital, um, you know, those kinds of places. And so that's the main reason why they drafted the exemption. The state of New York said, no, the law, and then the judge also agreed um, that the law uh, is really, the exemption really is more for first responders um, and, and not so broad as the Department of Labor made it. But I, I know from having talked to a number of nursing home uh, facilities, I mean, they were really nervous uh, with this exemption. Um, if, you know, if they lost a lot of staff members, um, they could jeopardize the, the viability of the home. Um, so definitely see the reason on either side for this. Um, but uh, you know, to me, it, it kind of seemed, even though the exemption was pretty broad, that the department was within the scope of their jurisdiction to draft that rule. So that was the second rule that was vacated. Those are the two major pieces here. The other two are a little more minor. I'll get through them more quickly. Um, in the regulations, the Department of Labor also required that um, employees obtain their employer's consent to uh, before taking intermittent leave in, in certain circumstances. Um, and you know the the state felt that um, the requirement to obtain consent was um, surpassing the the law. Uh, employers and employees should work together in. Um, 
trying to balance each other's needs, but the state felt that the Department of Labor went a little too far um, when it said that the employee basically had to get the employer's permission um, to take that intermittent leave. And then there was also uh, another requirement, which we, we talked about in the other podcast, about the timing of when an employee has to provide documentation supporting the need for the leave. And the, the rule was that um, employees need to provide documentation prior to taking the leave, which is kind of you know, kind of odd, right? Um, if someone is symptomatic and they're, they're staying home, um, it's difficult to provide certification of that before they actually stay home. And in fact, the law itself in the statute says that um, the documentation should generally be provided after the first day of leave. So that regulation, I think, arguably is a bit inconsistent with the statute itself. Um, so those are the, the four big ones. You know, really the work availability requirement and the healthcare provider exemption, I think, are the two most salient ones um, that employers should really um, strongly consider, uh, particularly if you're in the Southern District of New York. So do you think that the DOL will appeal this? Do you think they're going to go with it? Not that you have a crystal ball, but like, what do you think is going to happen? <laughs> well, I don't think they're going to acquiesce to it. Um, it. Kind of would have expected them to have already filed the appeal, but they haven't. Um, doesn't mean they won't appeal, but they haven't yet. They haven't stayed. They haven't immediately said they would appeal. Sometimes, rather than appeal, they will just basically file like it's like a notice of disagreement that says the department, you know, in other areas, um, you know, outside of the Southern District of New York, you know, we don't agree with this, and we're not going to enforce it like New York wants it enforced. Um, so those are some of their options. They, they could just kind of let it sit, but I, I think they'll, they'll provide some kind of answer um, within the next couple of months. So it sounds like employers should just kind of keep an eye and an ear out for that future information because it may or may not impact how things go forward with this FFCRA. Is there any other suggestion you have for employers as far as all of this is concerned? Well, certainly, if you're in the Southern District of New York, if you have operations there and you denied leave because you didn't have work available or you took the health care provider exemption, should definitely talk to counsel. Um, that would be worth a, a direct conversation. Um, if you're in New York State and you know you're currently availing yourself of the provider exemption um, or you can use that work availability requirement probably also makes sense to talk to counsel and, and get a, a gauge on what your potential exposure might be. And then for the rest of the country to, to wait and see what happens. Um, you know, the, the courts in New York are probably particularly sensitive to this since that New York arguably was the hardest hit city in the country. And I don't know if that's still true, but it was for a long time. Um, so I could see where, um, you know, they might take a more aggressive position in the courts. Um, I, I felt that these rules while, um, you know, maybe I thought they could have been tailored a bit more. 
I think they're still within the jurisdiction of the Department of Labor to issue. It's a pretty high standard to overrule a regulation like this. Um, the court just basically found that it was inconsistent with the, the law itself. Um, we'll see if an appeals court feels the same way. I, I kind of think that, again, while they're a little aggressive in the reg, I think it's probably within the scope of their authority to draft it this way. Interesting. Okay. So if you are an employer out there and you have questions about this, you want to talk to Stacy further about it, please reach out to me. Uh, my email is Sarah, S-A-R-A-H-G at lpinsurance.com. And I would be happy to connect you with him. But Stacy, thanks so much for walking us through all of this. This is really helpful, especially the additional details you added. Well, thanks, Sarah. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day.